previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. Let's say, uh, George, you mentioned Paul Anderson there. Uh, can I swear, please? Sorry, no, I'm, I don't want to say too much about Paul Anderson because I, I don't want to offend our, our host here, Nick. Uh, John found a way to inject child rape into the discussion again. No, I think that's everyone he's managed to. <laughs> Nick, it's not like they've got multiple nemesis running around in Gaiden, so yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Can you, can you get your tentacle out? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say my favourite part of Ori 4 is the fact that Joe is not in it. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Welcome to episode 6 of the Project Umbrella podcast, where all our evidence of involvement with Tricell was wiped off the BSAA desktop, and when we investigate an outbreak, we aren't bribed by any Umbrella bungs. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and joining me on the podcast today is the Batman. Hello. George Trevor. Good evening. Mr. Spencer. Alright. And Newsbot. Hello. And we have two very special guests today, which is a first for the Project Umbrella podcast. We welcome staff member Welsh. Staff member of Project Umbrella. With nearly 1,000 posts. Provider of rare and exclusive material. Serial translator of the Biohazard series. Expert in Biohazard 1.5. From Canada, it's Welsh. Hello. Pick up to play comedy on the Welsh Assembly. Yeah, we stick together like birds of a feather. Except we're not from Chigwell, we're from the small Welsh town. And we welcome the selfish gene. Well respected Resident Evil fan. Regular contributor to the Resident Evil community. With over 2,000 posts. Viewer of Degeneration in Japan. Well known biohazard collector. From Australia, it's the Selfish Gene. G'day. That's great. So that's everyone that's joining us today. So it's a very action-packed, and very busy podcast. What we'll be looking today, we're going through news, both latest gaming news and the site news. We're going to take advantage of Welsh being here to talk about 1.5, because we're going to have a nice big chat about 1.5, uh, which of course gets everyone going. 
Then we're going to be looking at the main discussion of the podcast being Biohazard 2, classic games of the series. I'm sure we've all got a lot to discuss about that. We've got a few community questions that have come in from uh, other members. One from The Horrors Alive from Carnival and the other from regular contributor Vito. Hello to him. And then, of course, we finish off with Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard quiz. So let's crack up with the news. Okay, first bit of news is the much-slated Operation Raccoon City's uh, downloadable packs are now available. I look forward to a podcast when we don't have to mention that game. (laughs) It just never stops fucking... I mean, it won't go away, will it? (laughs) Every month there's going to be another fucking DLC and we're just going to have to fucking talk about it every single episode. Now, has anyone actually downloaded it, played it? As soon as you said Operation Raccoon City, I turned off. What is this? Again, sorry. (laughs) Well, we have the free download, but now all the Echo 6 Spec Op missions are now available on Microsoft Arcade for 800 Microsoft points. Xbox Live Arcade. Is that what it is? Yep. Uh, thank you, John. And uh, on the PlayStation Network for $10. New levels include Train Yard, the Umbrella Lab, and finally, we get to see the uh, famous Tyrant fight at the Dead Factory, which, of course, is um, alluded to in the end of Biohazard 3. And what a disaster that is, may I just say. <laughs> Please elaborate, Joe. Well, you're in the Dead Factory, which obviously doesn't look anything like the Dead Factory. Keeping with traditions of Operation Raccoon City. The rail cannon comes through the ceiling. It's just (laughs) dropped through the ceiling and starts firing on its own. And the tyrants come in, but they don't seem to be dropped in from the helicopter by Sergei. It seems to be, is it Four Eyes, the USS one who can control the BLWs? It seems to be her that sets the tyrants on you. Yeah. Is there still the kind of battery operation that you have to do with... No, no. Okay. That's ignored, is it? It was poorly done, in my opinion. As with everything else in Operation Raccoon City. <laughs> I do know, because um, people have been mentioning about the new tyrant, because one of them gets overtaken by, I, I assume it's the any beta parasites, and becomes a quasi-plague-ass thing. It's quite hard to do. It takes. I think it's got three different forms, and it does take a while to do it. Okay. But, but interestingly, I was looking at the enemies in... Uh, Bio 1.5, and it does look a bit similar to a scrapped enemy from there, which looks a bit like Mr. X with, like, spider's legs coming out of it. Is that Gorgo, though? I don't know. I just saw a picture of it earlier. It's just called the Spider Monster. Oh, is it? Okay. Keeping with Operation Raccoon City, but now sold 2 million units worldwide. God, the human race. There's some fucking thick people out. Well, consider it probably only costs about $20 to make. Oh, and another thing about Raccoon City. People have been arguing about the cannon forever, but the two campaigns, the USS and the Spec Ops, even they don't integrate with each other. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. How do they not? I don't know. I've I've only only got the actual game, not the downloads. How do they uh, contradict? Well, if you play as the USS, you either kill Leon or let them go at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you play as the Spec Ops, you have to kill the tyrant that's attacking them and they get evacuated on a helicopter. Yeah. It's really strange. Such an odd... Okay, right, okay, well, we'll we'll leave that one. Other news, we've had the new Chronicles HD trailers come out. I assume you've all seen it. It's just posted on the Horrors Alive and on the Project Umbrella as well. I haven't seen those yet. Have you not? It's quite good, actually, if you have a fond memory of Chronicles games. They do look a bit better. And uh, it shows, because it's obviously coming out on the PlayStation 3, the various control schemes uh, showing how the move is going to work and then how the um, just on the DualShock 3 is going to work as well. But I, I did read a comment by... I can't remember who it was, saying... 
about how stupid it is using the kind of move because it's going to uncalibrate itself if you shake it around to get away from, you know, in, in, in the cutscenes. But I suppose that's the same problem that we had on the Wii. It also shows off the uh, all the various trophies that you can obtain now if you're one of these trophy hunters. Well, I enjoyed the Chronicles games and I have the move, so any opportunity I get to you know, play the move again is good. Yeah, because it hasn't really been utilised, the move, at all, has it? No, it's just become the Wii again. Same shit. <laughs> useless good for light gun shooters which is fine for someone like me who likes his light gun shooters but everyone else is like mm, what am i gonna do play carnival games with this shit yeah well interestingly the um germans punishment for losing the uh, champions league final to chelsea they're not going to be getting the hd collection at all and they're only going to be getting the dark side chronicles as a standalone digital title available on june 27th for 15 euros that's not bad although you can probably pick up dark side chronicles for about 10 quid Um, I've also got my notes, Damnation. There's been some story tidbits revealed through the Japanese site. Batman, do you know anything about that? Yeah, there's um, a press release on there that elaborates a tiny bit on the plot. Basically, as we know, it's a civil war taking place in a small country in Eastern Europe. The US government apparently intervenes when they receive intelligence that BOWs are being used. Leon is sent there to investigate, but when the situation escalates, the US decide to withdraw from the country. But Leon ignores the order and stays behind to uncover the truth behind the BOW attacks. So... Oh, what a, what a hero. Gene, feel free to interrupt at any point. I'm listening. I, I've never played Operation Raccoon City. I don't really intend to anytime soon. And I probably shouldn't say anything about Umbrella Chronicles either because I didn't care too much for that. <laughs> I fear you not missing out on anything on Operation Raccoon City. I think we can all agree on that. Dark Side Chronicles was good though. The first one was horrible. Onwards, Biohazard 6 viral site NoHopeLeft.com has been updated with some further distressing voices, which are adding to the story and the, uh, the distressing scares of the game, I suppose. And Although, I have to say, from that first one we had No Hope Left, it's quite a lot different from the beginning, what we first saw in that viral marketing, to what actually came out. At least it seems like it. Well, it's not really giving much away, is it, so far, the No Hope Left thing? No. Apart from that one email about Cousin S and, you know, the family and whatnot, there's not really been anything we can use so far. No, nothing to grab our teeth into. Chronicles HD will be released in North America on June 26th and in Europe the following day. Priced at £22. Is there no suggestion that this will uh, make it to Xbox? Not at the moment, I don't think. I haven't heard anything. I was wondering if there was a, a specific developmental reason why it's a PlayStation exclusive. I don't know. I suppose there's no reason why. Maybe just because PlayStation has the move, it's easier to do it. I don't know. I suppose the Xbox got connect. Other news, um, Capcom have recently admitted that they want faster cycle their production of their major titles, so one order out every two and a half years. Kenzo Tchidemoto, president and CEO of Capcom, says we want to reduce the time required to develop major titles from three, four to two and a half years. Uh, accelerated development will likely to increase the cost, but will create more quality content for Capcom that will be vital to survive in the highly competitive Western markets. The director of operations, Haru Tsumoto, brothers maybe, I don't know, states this process has already begun with the waiting time between Lost Planet 2 and 3 
and two and a half years, and with Resident Evil 5 and 6 has three and a half years. Resident Evil 6 has a fast development because of so many in-house staff working on the project, because wasn't it, how many did they say? Five, seven hundred? Five hundred? Staff? Six hundred. Was it six hundred? Quite, yeah. So that could mean we could see Resident Evil 7 by 2015. Put it in your diaries. God, I don't think I should be playing video games in 2015. <laughs> Is it me? I, I, this is. I'm totally. Does it not sound weird? Resident Evil Seven makes you feel just a little. It does sound weird. Whereas something like Final Fantasy Seven, because that, that just seems to flow more naturally off the tongue. But... It does seem weird considering it'll be like the 25th chronological <laughs> game. <laughs> I just think some games don't suit having so many numbered ones. It just seems very odd. I don't know. It's just me. I think too much at times. And uh, that concludes the news. But we can now move on to the rumour mill. And I think everyone should have probably seen this. The rumoured Resident Evil 3DS game, the new one. Rumoured Degeneration, Downfall and Damnation. Did everyone catch a glimpse of this on the news? I don't believe it. I mean, there's no source or anything, is there? Nope. It just popped up randomly. What are the odds of ignoring the kind of downfall aspect? What about a single... It's an SD card, effectively, isn't it, Nintendo, on one, almost like a movie to play on, on the 3DS, and considering Damnation's going to be in 3D, is that possible? Watch Degeneration um, and then Damnation on your 3DS on the go? A bit like a UMD? I don't... There's no other films available on... No, <laughs> no they, I just don't think that they'd try and, you know, forge that market. Well, of course, we've already had a Degeneration game on the mobile No, market, that's true. But, you know, that... That came out on UMD as well. The, yeah, the, yeah the, the film did, yeah, certainly. But the actual mobile game was kind of basically Resident Evil 4 mobile edition, if I remember correctly. Okay, uh, moving on to some site news. We have some more Devil May Cry work done. Uh, Welsh, can I hand over to you for a quick discussion on what you've been able to uh, extrapolate? Yeah, pretty much everything I posted is all we know right now. Okay, well, uh, basically, during the Biohazard 4 era, Dante and Virgil were the sons of Spencer, and... Uh, I don't think any of the settings changed. They kept all the settings, the locations, the castle, the island. How did the uh, the G virus come into it? Uh, you'll have to ask Newsbot. He actually talked to Kimeo about that. Yeah, I'm here. It's it was meant to be the source of the superpowers in Dante, Virgil, and Spencer, which is a continuation of its original purpose in Resident Evil 2. Although in Resident Evil 2 it was incomplete, so it didn't fulfill that purpose at the time. And presumably it never got complete. Hence why Curtis turned into a similar. Yep, pretty much. I saw your thread on tear. <laughs> <laughs> that went down like a lead balloon. My threads always do. Gene, I saw your comment, actually. That was funny. <laughs> I, I tried to keep it not accusing anyone, but I, I remember I was going to work yesterday and I was just reading the site on the bus and you just posted that and I thought, oh, shit, by the time I get around to checking this again, it's going to be an absolute shitstorm. It's always the yeah. same two people. Yeah, I know, but yeah, it was just bad timing. I couldn't check the thread all day. Sorry, Paul, I missed this one. What was the topic of your thread? The fact that Sherry being superhuman isn't new, strictly speaking. It's not a new theme in the series. Yeah, she was always intended to be superhuman. She's infected with a superhuman-creating virus. Why is it so surprising that she suddenly has superhuman powers? Has that actually been confirmed? We haven't been shown anything, but the magazine so far says that she has similar powers to Jake. But we haven't seen them yet. So G antibodies then? G antibodies aren't really a factor, I think. I think they were only introduced in Darkseid Chronicles. But she's still infected with the G virus. This also has a resistance to it. So similar to Jill with the T virus in Biohazard 5. Yep. 
That's the example I used. I, I know where I know where obviously where everyone's coming from. I I don't want to, I don't want to put a, put a nail in the work. I can't help but feel that there is an element of this kind of superhuman element that is being influenced by the movies to an no, extent. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's no, no. I completely get that it's been there for a long time. And obviously, when Newsbot, when you found out, you know what the original purpose of the uh, G virus was. I think perhaps it, let's just say, let's just say this: if the movies hadn't come out whether or not they would have carried down the same route. That's all I'm saying. Yes, they, they would. Uh, well, that's fine. If you, yeah, I'm not so sure. I think they may have been a bit more reserved. Well, they haven't really taken much from the movies. No, no, they I haven't. haven't no, no, I agree. Really I agree. affected the games much. They used the Red Queen in a completely different manner, and they used the laser corridors, but beyond that, there's no real connection between the movies and the games. Even if you look at it from uh, the dates. Yeah, in the movies, it was 2002, and um, the only other influences, of course, was the Outbreak series in America used the same font as the movie, and there's a thing called the Hive. Yeah, but that's uh, that was the hospital, not the. Uh... Yeah, no, no, but that, that's it. That's, that's its influence. Yeah, but that that's open to interpretation too. It could be translated as something else, right? The Hive. It's not a literal Japanese word. Oh, I don't know. But I think that's going to be E3's big reveal, isn't it? Sherry and Jake's gameplay. So. If she can walk around and kill people with a mind, then I'll say yes. She's been influenced by Paul Anderson. <laughs> yeah, but that's until, all across the line. Until then, no. Yeah, no, I, I do completely agree. My final point is just that I would question whether or not they would have gone down too many superhuman paths if the movies hadn't been as successful as they had been. You say yes, I'm not sure. But they were going to do it with Dante, weren't they? And then Leon was infected. That was going to give him mm. superhuman powers. And the reason those games were scrapped would not because of that. No, 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 that's right. I suppose, obviously, an Alexia as well, and Wesker was superhuman Yeah, the movies were inspired by Alexia and Wesker, directly out of Code Veronica. Whereas Biohazard 2 is the one that started the superhuman stuff in general. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while since I watched the movies, but there's no superhuman elements until the second one? Yeah, Apocalypse, yeah, she, um... Yes. Yeah, in the first one, she walks out into the street. Yeah, so the superhuman elements really... When did that come out? 2003 or four? Apocalypse? 2004, I think. Yeah, I think it's four, yeah. So the influence, if it was coming from the films, couldn't have been before then, of course. That's a very good point. Yeah, so everything after 2004, which would time without break, with the minor fonts things. But yeah, everything from then onwards in terms of superhuman, if there is anything, but there isn't. Yeah, I doubt it. Right. Other site news. We'd like to say thank you very much to everyone who has donated. I know uh, we have pushed people for donations and they're always welcome. So everyone from all the staff here uh, who has donated to the site, big thank you. And we've now switched server. Is that right, Newspot? Is it switched server or we've gone to a different bandwidth or something? Is that right? Yeah, we switched over again. Didn't take that long, though. It was only like a few hours downtime. Okay. And the final bit of news, site news, we've got some more translations on its way, I believe. Uh, what, what have we got coming up? I'm still working on files and some from the archives and inside of Darkside Chronicles books. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try and get my website on. Yeah, I'm, I've got that on my backlog right now. They're like sitting like under my desk. Yeah. I just can't be bothered scanning them. <laughs> I sent you the scans. Or sit, you, you should have them. I sent you them. Oh, yeah, I've got the scans of some of them, but there's another issue I think is missing. Okay, I, yeah, I've got one to six so far. I don't know about seven, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, and the uh, the final bit of site news. Newsbot, you're doing a uh, run-through of the series uh, in September. Yes, a history of Biohazard article. It should be pretty in-depth. And that's going to coincide with your uh, charity event, which will be on Project Umbrella TV. Yep. 
Does anyone remember the Resident Evil playthrough? I think it was a couple of years ago that was done for charity and they managed, I don't know how they did it, but they streamed it live and they had at least three or four staff members play, you know, one after the other. And, 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 and you know, you could, you could tune in, you could see this. I mean, I was hoping maybe this is something that we could achieve. Well, that's the dream. Let's see how well it works. I'll find out who it was. They do playthroughs of various games. It wasn't an exclusive Resident Evil thing. I'll have to go back and check it out, you know, try and contact one of the guys to see how they did it. But I think it was on Justin TV that it was streamed. Yeah, I was looking at Justin TV and Twitch TV, I think it was. I was looking at those for streaming, but I heard that you can use YouTube as well, but I haven't checked it out yet. But we'll have more information on it soon, I think. Great, right, well that concludes all the news. Okay, and we'll now move on to our first sub-discussion, Biohazard I'll start by saying this is possibly the, one of the most controversial games, I think, in the sense that there is an ongoing and still quite strong call to arms by many Biohazard fans wishing for the game to be released now. It represents, along with perhaps 3.5, one of the greatest mysteries in the series as to what would have been, what could have been. This is underlining urge by fans as a play what they can't get at, and it just pisses so many people off. And uh, <laughs> it just generates so much hatred and wonder and amazement. I mean, one distinction I would draw really with this, and why I would also question that desire, is you look at some other previous beta builds, for example, you compare Hookman beta build of Resident Evil 4 with the finished product those are two completely different games I, I would question how different you know from certainly from what i've seen the footage of 1.5 still very much the same vein and and, and and the same feel and the same type of game as you know resident evil 2 as we got it so you know my, my interest and curiosity has always really been with beta builds that are very different from the final result whereas i, I would certainly question that with 1.5 which seems you know very similar other than a, you know a couple of character changes i think overall the main gripes that the development team have of 1.5 was that it was much more action orientated than the first game and it didn't actually try and change the formula of the first game very much it was still completely separate scenarios elza was pretty much just a replacement for jill leon just a replacement for chris because that's the accepted one isn't it the the development said it was too similar to biohazard one we wanted to start again and make it more unique yeah i know uh kamiya said he wasn't happy with his writing he actually described it as uh the difference between heaven and hell. Oh, that's interesting. I think the biggest question is, though, Welsh, do you have the beaters? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, last year someone had 1.5 up for sale on eBay for 100000 Did you guys catch that? because no, the rumors go around that someone has it somehow. Someone actually had the beta up on eBay for $100,000. That's what he was asking. When was this? I think it was last year. He actually posted. He's a, it's someone associated with the owner of a PlayStation Museum. It's a website. And he posted the videos, and that's pretty much all I know. Was it the uh, 
curator guy? Yeah, that's the only reference I've ever seen to someone owning the 1.5 is the curator for the PlayStation Museum, yeah. Yeah, possibly. I think it's archived over at THIA. Can I just ask, I'm sorry if, I'm, if it was already said, what's the most completed version that, that's known of? I mean, was it 80%? Was it? I think it was 70 to 80%. Yeah. It was pretty far in development. And wasn't it originally written as a as an end into the series as well? Yeah, I don't think they intended to continue the series after it. One of the main differences was people actually believed the stars members and there was a big investigation into Umbrella and they did get shut down. Yeah, um, Umbrella gets shut down and by the time 1.5 occurs, but they're still around. And the reason they're still around is the only reason Kamiya gave for the corporation being still existing at the time was that they're just a big company. I think they were actually, they were secretly operated in the underground lab, 1.5. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case as well. There's also a few uh, umbrella trucks in the uh, RPD parking lot where the uh, ape BOWs come from. I don't know, as far as the stages go, the stages are almost the same. You progress from the police station to the sewer to the street. Uh, that's where the pharmaceutical factory was located and finally the lab. Yeah, I think it was a warehouse. I think the warehouse took the place of the uh, vacant factory in the final game. Yeah. I heard that the two characters never interact with each other, Elsa and, and Leon. Isn't there a, um, a replacement for Sherry? There's a little girl that doesn't a little girl team up with one of the characters. Oh, it's still Sherry, just uh, slightly changed. Oh, isn't she one of the survivors? Because isn't someone else play a survivor as well? Not, is it Ada or...? Yeah, uh, in Leon's scenario, the two survivors that accompany Leon are uh, Marvin, who had a much bigger role, yeah. and Linda, who became Ada in the yeah. final version. In Elsa's game, there was uh, John, who became Robert Kendo. And then there was Sherry. And there was a few more minor characters, wasn't there? Another RPD officer called Roy, or DJ, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he was Leon's superior officer, I think. And Chief Irons was still around as well, just different. I think one of the biggest differences that has always caught my interest in 1.5 has been the um, the creatures seem to be a bit different. There seems to be a different theme going on. Obviously, you've got the the standard zombies and stuff, but you know, there's a lot more. There's gorillas, isn't there? And kind of weird mutations with spiders. Yeah, the designs are actually pretty dramatic. Mm. I actually wonder if they actually changed the uh, creature designer. Doesn't Annette become a creature? Remembering back to the archives, they drew concept art, but we don't know if it was ever actually utilized in the game. Ah, okay. They drew uh, mutated horses as well that was the one yeah that wicked <laughs> i just thought it'd be amazing I mean, you would always want to see like zombie cops riding on their zombie horses <laughs> going back to the characters a minute linda or stroke ada she was originally an umbrella researcher was she yeah i think she was meant to be a protagonist rather than the vague antagonist that ada is um, i think she was just a employee i think but i can't remember where i read that I like the idea of the fact that they're properly linking in with Biohazard 1, obviously, with a John and Ada. Well, uh, the John that helps Elsa is not the same John. Oh, is it? Oh, right, okay. Yeah, no, it's a small thing. I'm, I'm sure I read, I think it was one of the examples of how I think the game initially was almost trying to do too much, was maybe too ambitious. Didn't the characters clothe with, as you progress through the game, they kind of sort of, you know, got dirty and they were kind of evidence of, of you know, the fights and the, you know, situations that they'd been in. So their clothes yeah. got ripped and... yeah damage on the character models. Do the character models limp like they're doing Resident Evil 2 now? I haven't actually seen anything that shows them limping in 1.5. I, I think that was something they added in 2. So I, I could be wrong, though. system's probably better for the player, because like, there are some screenshots of the you know, bloodied and torn clothes, and it, yeah. it's very hard to make out. Yeah, especially when you actually uh, get more 
armor later in the game that completely covered the spots that were meant to be exposed. I would say another thing I picked up on, I thought the environments of 1.5 were a lot more brighter than what they turned out to be in 2. 2 had that kind of foreboding atmosphere in the uh, police station and then sewers. I know we didn't quite see everything in 1.5, but it seemed to me to be quite brighter, quite metallic in some places. Yeah, well, the, the RPD was a lot more modern, wasn't it? Mm. I think 1.5 was more inspired by a few more movies than 2. I believe the uh, the outside of the police station was actually modeled directly off the building of the Detroit police station in Robocop. And that's carried over into 2, isn't it? Because uh, there's some rooms in the, the RPD in the final version that do look exactly like the, uh, the ones in Robocop, like the Situation Room. There's a book that I don't know if you've got it, Paul. It's called, I think, Biohazard 2 Prologue of Terror. Yeah, I've got that, and there's a, quite an expanded section on the influences of the movies. I'm pretty sure for 1.5 and 2. Yeah, is 1.5 in there? There's definitely, I can quickly grab it. Now, there's a section I know on Sweet Home and the influences that Sweet Home had on, on Remake and influences that movies had on both that. I can, I'll can quickly check now if there's 1.5 in it. That book actually has a, uh, a description of the original clay virus as well oh yes i remember yeah. they were actually meant to put the clay virus into the files of two but they removed them is the clay virus mentioned in biohazard it's or mentioned only in supplemental text only in supplemental text which is really strange was it that on the in the true story behind biohazard it was first revealed in the uh i think it was the director's cut guidebook it might have even been the original version you know the green covered one i think it was pretty much the same as the regenerative virus Five types, A, B, D. What they injected into Lisa. Any other points anyone wants to raise on 1.5? Uh, no, but I have a list of items I translated from, too. I haven't really posted them yet. All right, go are... Okay, there's, there's something called chemical A and chemical B, and there's chemical ACW204, and it converts grenade rounds into acid rounds. FRW09 converts grenade rounds into flame rounds, kind of like mixing system for Biohazard 3. And there's something called Recovery Chemical. It's a chemical capable of restoring health. The key cards at the police station, there was actually two more. There was a yellow key card, and the description reads, it's used to unlock an electronic lock. That's it. It's not specific. And then the green key card reads, I uh, used to unlock an electronic lock. It reads meeting room. So that would have been used to open the meeting room at some point. Joe, these are news materials from Biohazard 2. Yeah, yeah, the trial edition and the beta. Oh yes, because I, I I played that again. The trial edition on the uh, director's cut or the demo that goes up to Kendo's gun shop, isn't it? Right. Uh, the other thing is too, Ada had a watch originally instead of the photo. The description reads, it's an adorable watch, there's a stopwatch. I don't know what it would even use for. Joel, that you found out, or someone did, that Sherry's pendant is a watch as opposed to a necklace. Yeah, it's actually a pocket watch. Because I extracted some items from, I think it was the demo for Resident Evil 2 disc, and um, there is a, one of the items that doesn't make it over to Resident Evil 2. I mean, some of the items are just simply different colours. There's definitely there's a pocket watch as one of the items. Yeah, basically it was in 1.5 as well, and I, I translated scene where Elsa meets John, or pardon, Sherry in the store. And the text on the screen reads, oh my, it's a big watch. So it was definitely intended to be a watch at some point. Oh my, what a big watch you have. Yeah. All the better for telling time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I think that can conclude our 1.5. And we can now move on to the main discussion, Biohazard 2. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that was great timing, wasn't it? Perfect. Keep that in. A bizarre incident occurred in the outskirts of an American suburb called Raccoon City. It was later revealed that the terrible disaster had been caused by the T-Virus, a mutagenic toxin created by the international enterprise Umbrella Incorporated for use in bioweapon experiments. 
the Raccoon City Police Department's Special Stars Unit immediately began investigation in the affair. The case was apparently closed thanks to the efforts of Stars members Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine. But the Umbrella Corporation's experiments were far from finished. Man, what a mess! What could have done this? What was that? What are these things? All right, that's far enough. Don't move! Don't move. No! Wait, don't shoot! Get down! We can't stay out here. Head to the police station. It'll be a lot safer. What's going on? I arrived in town, and the whole place went Great. insane. The radio's out. You're a cop, right? Yeah, first day on the job. Great, huh? Name's Leon Kennedy. Nice to meet you. Mine's Claire. Claire Redfield. I came to find my brother, Chris. Hey, could you open the glove box? Sure. There's a gun inside. Better take it with you. Okay, uh, first things first, crack on with Biohazard 2. Quick, brief discussion, George. Brief discussion on what each person thought of the game. So we'll, we'll start with you, George. What did you think of Biohazard 2? Sorry, I was just wondering why you emphasised the word brief when you mentioned me. Because the last time it went on forever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm articulate enough to really get across sort of the emotional attachment I have to this game. I mean, it was the first Resident Evil game I played. I was sort of fascinated by this Nintendo 64 cartridge that came out and the, the excitement they'd managed to squeeze it onto that cartridge i mean it, it was like a brick it was just like nothing i'd played before the size of the game the locations i mean the story i mean you know just chief irons incredible character you know the, the background of that character um, yeah walking into the rpt building for the first time was quite something for me i was really just taken by immediately the idea of the exploration that could be achieved. I thought the puzzles, some of them were quite intelligent. I mean, some of them were almost off the wall. And the files, reading these stories of the cops, you know, their final stand, the whole imagination that went into that story, whilst you're, you know, playing, obviously, the events that are occurring after that. So for me, it's the, the masterpiece of the series. And that, that's, I... that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, what did you think of Biohazard 2? Uh, yeah, I loved it. It was a natural progression from the first game, uh, having the whole city infected. The partner zapping system was a, a really good addition, I thought. Whereas Biohazard 1 was about horror and scares, 
Kamiya's direction in Biohazard 2 brought a sense of dread to the atmosphere. You know, the Arkley Mansion, the first game was a venture into the unknown for the characters, taking them into, you know, unfamiliar territory with this uh, this creepy old mansion. And yet this game brings the horror to these characters' own front doorstep. You know, you can imagine the RPD once being a hive of activity, and yet it is now just completely dead. You know, seeing what would you know, be Chris and Jill's friends and Leon's new colleagues all wiped out by this biohazard just creates a sense of dread with the player. I love how the files portray the downfall of the RPD and you can soon come to realise that they never had a chance. It leaves a real escape from Precinct 13 vibe. Uh, the new characters were likeable. Uh, both William Birkin and Annette epitomised what Umbrella was all about in terms of drive and self-importance. And of course, you had the whole Newt Ripley relationship with Claire and Sherry. Uh, the character of Ada brought a sense of mystery to the proceedings. You know, a spy for a rival company to Umbrella sent to recover the G-Virus. And, you know, it was a nice reference back to the original game. You know, as George said, uh, Chief Irons was excellent. You know, a really disturbing, creepy character rather than the cliched good police chief gone bad. And uh, minor characters like Kendo and Marvin were a welcome addition. And Leon, uh, as the naive young officer arriving for his first day on the job, was uh, was just as likeable as Chris, in my opinion. The new creatures were good, especially the liquor. Uh, The G-Virus was also a welcome addition and added a new layer to the story, the gameplay, and the overall history of Umbrella. The soundtrack was very good. Uh, The atmosphere was spot on. And there were four scenarios to play, you know, in order to see the whole story. And it just all comes together, you know, in a really, really good package. That's a a superb sequel uh, and full of excellent 80s movie references, I might add. So, yeah, uh, just really, really good. Newsbot? Well, I was six when the game came out, so (laughs) you can imagine how I felt watching it. Shut up, right? It It was the first game that actually scared me. It was a scary game. Especially at six years old. Why are you playing the game so young? My sister is free and she plays fucking everything now. <laughs> we get started early. Selfish Gene? I love it. It's my favourite in the series. And yeah, I played it when it came out. I anticipated it when it came out. I'm really, really looking forward to it after playing the first game. And it just it does everything better and it, it blew me away at the time. And I still love playing it to this day. It, it's fantastic. And um, Welsh? Uh, the number two for the N64 was the first version I played. I've been hooked ever since, so... It's got that lasting appeal. Yeah, it's probably one of the best in the series. For me, it's really odd because I don't have that emotional attachment to it as you guys seem to have. Not because I don't love it, but I missed it. I got number one, then I got number three, then Survivor, and then went back to two because I wanted to get it black label as opposed to platinum. And so it took a bit of tracking down back then. And I think I've only completed it maybe like three times. You know how shit I am at these games anyway, but I do really like it. But because I've played number three, which is arguably gameplay wise a bit better, a bit more fluid with the dodge kind of mechanisms. It's horrible to say it felt like a bit of a step backwards because it was, but I still love I still love the storyline. I watched my cousin play it a lot and he had it well before I did and I was generally sitting watching him play it and I got attached to it that way more than actually playing it because I've already seen what was going to happen with the storyline. So I don't quite have that, that same, what a game, feeling that everyone else does, but I still, I still absolutely love the storyline more than anything else. It's just so good and as Batman, you pointed out, the kind of zapping system was really good and the replayability that you can do Leon A, Claire B, and then thinking, this is a hell of a long game, but then go and do Claire A, Leon B, which is different in itself. And I don't think a Resident Evil has replicated that since. No. In terms of length, anyway. I still love it. I, 
I don't think it should be remade. Everyone clambers for a remake. I think it still holds up today. The pre-rendered backgrounds are so great. I just don't think it needs it, and I wouldn't... Whereas Biohazard 1, you can see deep. I'd agree with that. I mean, I played it on the GameCube only this week, and it still stands up fine. I don't trust Capcom. Yeah, if, if they do remake it, we've already They're seen not it. Like Dark Side Chronicles, they change it too much. Most of that era, and what they could achieve, almost suited the environment. You know, the graffiti strewn streets that you've got. I almost don't want to see them that crisp. It, it kind of almost suits that atmosphere of the game that almost feels slightly dirty. And I don't think it would actually, I think it would almost take away from the atmosphere to have that increased HD. I wanted to quickly mention the music as well. I think it's by far, in terms of the soundtrack and the game and how they fit together perfectly and how particular tracks are absolute, you know, signatures. And, and you know, you only have to hear a few seconds and you're immediately back in either the RPG building uh, or, or the second floor. Yeah, the soundtrack was just phenomenal. Jumping on what you've said, I think it's perfectly suited for the time that it came out and it has that aura of it just doesn't need updating it it fits within the time frame it still fits today and uh, you know what you're saying with what they happened in dark side chronicles it just didn't have that same feel even though it's a first person and you know if they read it again you know they'd make claire right slut whereas you know in although she's wearing biker outfit you know she had that degree of innocence about her going what the fuck's going on but dark side chronicles she came across as a right slut yeah but she was a slut because if you read research on biohazard too i think it was well translated it actually said she had multiple boyfriends <laughs> is that canon or is it come from the same kind of story where Leon was partying the night before? That's in archives, that, about Leon. Yeah. Oh, is that true? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mentioned he's, yeah, he'd, he'd sort of gone out the night before partying, and, and, and I think he was almost running late, wasn't he, from a hangover? Yeah, that's, ah. it. that's in archives. Yeah, man. Why don't we talk about the storyline a bit? Because I personally touched upon it, and I think we all have uh, how much we enjoyed it. Can I just say, at the time, when you look at it, it, it is quite separate from the other games. It's very self-contained, and I said that apart from the Redfield name, there's very little, very little to actual Biohazard 1, apart, you know, Redfield, Umbrella, and Ada. I think you have the same almost sense of exploration, which you can develop further, depending on how, you know, completing the puzzles, finding the key that then opens up a further area. So that kind of structure was the same, but yeah, you're absolutely right. From, you know, a, almost a claustrophobic mansion to, you know, the, the streets of Raccoon City, going through the police building, the underground laboratory, dating it, it seems to be a very ambitious game in terms of, you know, how far you explore and, and, and how much, you know, the player has to undertake to progress through the game. I mean, I still to this day, I find it one of the one of the more harder games to complete. It was quite a brave move replacing the original cast as well. You know, not having any of the survivors from the first game coming back. Mm. Of all those characters, I would be more surprised at the omission of Wesker. Well, he wasn't due to come back. He died. Father was bread. Oh, well, they bring him back, don't they, in Code Veronica? So they effectively could have done the same for Resident Evil 2. They could have written that storyline after Resident Evil 2. Oh. And they, oh, I think they wrote it when they were writing Resident Evil 3, actually. But I actually quite like that it is separate. And, like, there's no returning past. I think it works really well in its favour. Yeah, I do. It is interesting, like, you know, when you go in the star's office and you see, like, the picture and the reminders, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the shooting trophy that Chris run, you, it does make you wonder what's happened to these characters. Well, Joel pointed out, didn't he, the items, the red book, was it, and the gold crest in the box by the desk? Yeah, I think the oh. Earth, too. They use on um, Plan 42, or the vines or whatever, like the Earth and the uh, herbicide or whatever. Okay. Yeah, it's in the box as well. And you always question why Rebecca Chambers has a desk and Enrico doesn't. <laughs> what, just on the point that you find that roll of film on that desk? I mean, does it actually specifically say that it's her desk? It does in 3. It does in 3, does it? Yeah. That's one of the things I actually agree with uh, Perry's novels. The Bravo and the Alpha teams would work split shifts and they would share desks. Yeah, that's true. Fair point. Leon! 
it's good to see you're still among the living. It looks like we're not going to find your brother here after all. There's no reason for us to stay any longer than necessary. Let's split up, look for any survivors, and get out of here. Right. One last thing. Here's a radio. Take it. That way we can keep in touch if anything happens. I can't believe what is happening to this city. It almost has elements of Resident Evil 4 about it, with that kind of self-containment, if you like. And it sits subsequent games and supplementary material that's kind of brought it in. Obviously, the G-Virus becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, Hunk's particular mission becoming important with kind of Dead Aim and uh, what happens with the G-Virus. And then, obviously, remake uh, introduced Birkin effectively into the mansion, the importance of Wesker's Report 2. And it was, it was only really then it all kind of then started to come together, didn't it? And, of course, you escape Raccoon City. But it's still there. It's only Biohazard 3 that kind of wipe it off the map. I'm not sure how many people actually picked up on that point when it first came out. Like, oh, thank God I've, I've escaped. But the whole city is still screwed. I'm still to this day never... I mean, I'm always almost surprised by the level of detail that went into the, the backgrounds. I mean, not just the graffiti. I mean, you know, phrases that you see repeating. This too shall pass. Yeah, I remember that. That's everywhere, isn't it? That's really creepy. What's this? I first noticed it was brought up by Ridley in a thread at PU the phrase this too shall pass which i think is an old testament old jewish phrase that is written sporadically through the streets sort of on, on the top of doors you can see it quite easily towards the beginning of the game i think the third or fourth sort of scene section of the streets that you see i think as you're coming up the stairs where there's an advert for i think swiss watch or something you can okay, see yeah, I know you. but at various places and as i said i mean i saw this from Ridley's observations, it's yeah, it's written. It's because it's sort of ominous phrase and things like that. You know, the graffiti. You know, I've, even to this day, most games today to me just seem to lack that realness and and that kind of you know sort of gritty atmosphere that's really brought to life. Yeah. The problem is, it would take a hell of a lot of work to get that sort of detail in a th perhaps 3D game now, because obviously it's pre-rendered. They can spend more time doing pre-rendered backgrounds mm. uh, to, to actually get that sort of level in a game. You know, in a, I don't know the streets where you're going to be there for a, what, literally a second, running in with that kind of over-the-shoulder view. There's no point. You know, what, why not just put a brick wall and have done with it and do a hit the copy and paste button on the textures? You know, that they had the time on the pre-renders. They can make it as detailed as humanly possible, and the results are that it is a really creepy creepy atmosphere and experience when you're coming up to the rpd i mean even just some of the kind of the backstories that are quite you know intense the mayor's daughter that you see lying across irons desk and i'm not sure where i read this but wasn't he a convicted rapist what is that is that am i remembering oh it, it just says that he assaulted a woman very vague and this sort of suggestion that, you know, that he's a taxidermist mm. i mean that character alone you, you could almost devote a whole podcast to Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were another one of those zombies. Are you Chief Irons? Yes, that's me. And just who are you? No, don't bother telling me. It makes no difference. You'll end up just like all the others. That's the mayor's daughter. I was told to look after her, but I failed. Miserably. Just look at her. She was a true beauty. 
her skin nothing short of perfection. But it will soon putrefy and she will turn into a zombie within the hour like all the others. There must be some way to stop it. In a manner of speaking, there is. Either by putting a bullet through her brain, or by decapitating her completely. And to think that taxidermy used to be my hobby. But no longer. Please, I'd really like to be alone now. I like the fact that, that someone like Brian Irons was very similar to Nikolai in that they were really complex and detailed characters that Catcom bothered to invest time and effort in, which they arguably do now, like Sadler, for example. You know, I'm super villain, I'm to take over the world, that's all you're going to know. Whereas Brian Irons, far more complex. Uh, yeah. Far, you know, with the whole taxidermy, you feel the atmosphere in his room of a tiger, and there he is complaining about the idiot's umbrella have ruined his town. Mm. Far more emotionally attached to him, and oh, is he is he okay? Whereas Sadler and people like that were just far too dull and humdrum. And Nikolai was the same, I thought, because you didn't quite really, as you went through the game, you thought he's a bit evil, but you're not quite sure why, and then you still don't quite know why, because he's a kind of monitor monitoring what. And then it's only at the end you realise you're a right bastard. And, and same with Irons as well. And we read all the files about how he's receiving bungs. And just that sort of level isn't really as much as it should be, as it was in Biohazard 2, especially. And then you get this most astonishingly dysfunctional family, the two parents. <laughs> and although I didn't particularly enjoy playing as Sherry and, you know, couldn't really kind of myself empathise too much with her character, I still at least, you know, fascinated by this idea, you know, that her parents obviously had a little time for her. It's sheer um, perfection. You know, you, you, and, and, and Birkin and um, I mean Annette and William are two very different people because they could have just made them both very easily ambitious, you know, scientists. But you know, I, I certainly got the feeling that they were quite two very different people. And yeah, you know, the amount of depth that went into that story as well with all the other characters. I completely agree, and I think it is one of the most well-rounded. Um... Just to touch on that though, have you ever tried to get Sherry killed? It's practically impossible. Is it really? The zombies don't grab her for a start; they just sort of spit bile at her. Yeah, acid vomit yeah. attack. Surely she can die though. She can die, but it's it's very very hard to do. Was anyone else quite disappointed by Kendo's last stand? You know, he's got that gun set. <laughs> I think actually, isn't, actually no, I was going to say it's awful that he picks up a bow gun. If you start, you know, as, as Claire's story first, um, <laughs> he picks up a bow gun. But then I think isn't the suggestion that he's kind of given away too many guns. He's almost been too generous. All the gun racks in his shop are empty, aren't they? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry about that, bro. <laughs> then got the kind of the story that he provided the guns, so you even get to find out, you know, who was sort of doing the personalised guns for the Stars members. So, I mean, that level of detail as well with the characters was unrivaled anywhere else. I've certainly not played a video game that's kind of gone into that depth of characterization for such, you know, a, a small part as, as Kendo. And he was good mates with Barry, wasn't he? Yeah. He used to go fishing in Stoneville. Is that canon? Yep. Wonderful, wonderful. And, of course, uh, Kendo's got a brother, hasn't he, who did the... Uh, he did the... Samurai Edge, yeah. That was it, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was thinking of Robert when I was referring to the personalised guns. It was his brother. Joseph Kendo. Yeah, Kendo Gunshop. <laughs> Reminds me of the old advert they did on, on the RPD dispatch. That was very good. Uh, okay, what about the uh, the bio-organic weapons? We've touched on the uh, 1.5 ones have been quite a drastic change. 
Biohazard 2, of course, introduced the the, you know, the usuals, did the spiders, did the uh, zombies, but then you got whacking great things like the alligator, which took you all by surprise the first time. I think the first AOW you come across, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, you've got the secondary infectants, the zombies, but then you come across the liquor with that just <laughs> opening. I mean, I, I was disappointed the hunters weren't in Biohazard 2, but I think the liquor was an equally good successor to that. Yeah, I would agree. I really like how um, Biohazard 2 like, throws you straight into the deep end. As soon as you start that first scenario, I mean, there's maybe five or six zombies on the street mm. and then in Kendo's shop four come through the window you never get those numbers in the first game and then you don't get hunters halfway through the first game and then yeah. you know there's a liquor ten minutes in you know it really throws you in the deep end and kind of increases the intensity I think it's really really good I think that was a main complaint from Mikami in one of his interviews he said that he didn't like showing the creature right away he wanted a build up but I think the build up to most of the enemies in 2 were pretty good that yeah. part where the liquor crawls past the window, and then the next frame, you're looking outside the window into the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And little things like that, you know, and someone's obviously programmed that and taken the time, but especially, you know, 15 years, however many years it's been now, you know, people just forget about just the detail in it like that. I love it. First cut scene of the liquor is brilliant, isn't it? Obviously on the, on the, on the ceiling, and it's all dri- dripping down, you're like, oh, holy shit. And that's a good point G makes, because when you first meet the liquor, you only ha- either have a bowgun or a pistol. I absolutely agree. You're really throwing it at the deep end. And for me, being in the first game that I played, you know, I was quite sort of taken aback when the opening scene and straight away you're there and there's flames around you. And, you know, as Gene says, you- you've got sort of half a dozen zombies on you. And immediately I'm just thinking, wow, what sort of led to this? And I'm immediately wanting to think about what, you know, what happened in Resident Evil and what, you know, led to this situation. You really get the feel that this is the continuation of something quite drastic that's gone before. Yeah, the only I suppose the only the only thing the only bow I wasn't still not quite sure about is the the ivy. Ivies, yeah, yeah. Day of the Triffids. I don't mind. The one I don't like is the moth, but no one ever sees the moth anyway. <laughs> oh, it's his Birkin's pet, isn't it? I don't know. Birkin's lab in his little private lab. Yeah, but you've got obviously you've got the ivies, and you've also got the big plant that kind of extends the whole way down the um down that ladder. The, yeah, down the ladder as well. Yeah, because you don't really notice. There's obviously there's two types of ivies, isn't there? The poison one and the one. Yes. And, I don't know. They're a bit freaky, but they're quite easy to kill on. Yeah, no, and, and just the way they oh, sort of die, you know, just sort of hit that sort of hissing, it's just all a bit, I don't know, it, it, it's not very strong for me, and it almost, they just seem like a, a waste of time, really. I would agree that was the uh, probably the only criticism I really would have for the game. Doesn't the, uh, I know, Gene, you mentioned this in the RPD dispatch, doesn't the anti-BLW gas actually make them stronger? Yeah, from memory it does. It makes them the poison form. It's been a while since I've played that part of the game, but I think you don't have to put the gas on. Is that the P-Epsilon? Yeah, from memory. Oh, that's interesting. I've always wondered what effect that actually has. Yeah, no, it actually, and I think it makes the black liquors, they might appear sooner than they otherwise would. Oh, the, the yeah, so they, they still always appear, but they may be sooner, yeah. I suppose they, the Ivy were the kind of Chimera replacements, the unique lab monster. I don't know if you guys played Hunk and Tofu's missions, but Ivy's in that are probably the most challenging enemies. They're in the RPD, just, aren't they? They're, uh, yes, in a couple of places. But just their positioning and the attacks that they've got. Are... Even when you kill them, they can still slap you when you yes. go past. Yeah. Yeah, I think in uh, concept artwork, they had bees circling around them. So at some point, they originally intended it to be two enemies, maybe. But we can't talk about the BOWs without talking about something obviously that's been inspired in the series since the the following effectively of two creatures throughout uh, in mode A Birkin effectively chasing you throughout the game and then in mode B Mr X which are, of course is a precursor to Nemesis. How, how, how did everyone think? How, uh, what did everyone think of the, these two uh, creatures? 
Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Makami said in an interview that uh, no. Nemesis was inspired by the T-1000, like an enemy constantly pursuing your character. Yeah. It wasn't, um, wasn't Nemesis originally a rejected design for Mr. X, or was it the other way around? I'm not sure. Oh, interesting. I said I played three first, so I thought Mr. X was a bit disappointing, obviously, because Nemesis was far more intense than Mr. X, but, you know. I think the first time, especially when he breaks through that wall, because you fight him in what, uh, I can't remember what room it is, up on the second floor, first floor, whatever, and then you make it out and then you just go through the main door, you're like, oh shit. The part that got me with the tyrant most was in the factory, look at the security cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just right there. <laughs> that was my favourite appearance. That was good. And of course, everyone loves where he punches through the wall yeah, and then does it again. I mean, that, that's Actually, absolutely classic. He punches talking... into the room and then punches out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> but when you play it, when he first turns up, you don't see him again for ages. You just seem to yes, forget about right. him, and then suddenly he just bashes through the wall. Mm. Really good. Don't worry. You're the one who was with that cop, if I'm not mistaken. Identify yourself. Ada? Ada Wong? Ada Wong? I've heard that name before. Now I remember. One of the men from Chicago who came to assist the T-Virus research used his girlfriend's name as his password. Ada and John, I believe. How did you know? Who are you? Annette Birkin. My husband is the man responsible for the creation of the T-Virus. William Birkin. What? John's dead. He became one of those zombies. My condolences. And although I regret this, you will be joining him shortly. I won't let anyone take the virus away from me. G-Virus? It's capable of creating the ultimate bioweapon. Its potential is even greater than that of the T-Virus. Then that must mean the creature in the police department is... Precisely... My husband, William. And it's all Umbrella's fault. None of this would have happened if they hadn't tried to steal his research away from him. Are you telling me that he injected the G-Virus into his own body? The G-Virus has the ability to revitalize cellular functions. So those rats were the carriers of the virus. As a result of his virus-induced transmutation, William should have lost any prior memories he had as a human by now. Even worse, every G-Virus bioweapon, including William, has the ability to implant embryos into other creatures. And create offspring. No. Talking about the T-103, there is the one in Birkin's lab, isn't there, that causes a bit of debate as to which one that is, why it's there in the first place. Because it's in the tube, isn't it, in the test tube? Yeah, it is basically an experimental model that they had in development, and at some point they just broke free. It's never seen again. It broke free, and it's definitely not the obviously, as we know, not the one. So it's roaming around Raccoon City. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just somewhere, but you never see it in any of the games. Mm. Yeah, but that, that was a different capsule. Uh, I think it's the same one because if you compare oh, yeah, the uh, the prologue, the file, and the background... Yeah, I, the... I superimpose them over the GI. It's the same capsule. I think it's reversed. That was the problem some people have with it. Reversed. Mirrored, I mean. 
Is this the photograph that you guys are talking about? Yeah, it's yeah. the one with the tyrant yeah. in its pod. Yeah, but isn't there something completely different in that pod in Biohazard Outbreak when you go in that room? Do we actually Ooh. go in that room in Outbreak? I don't know if it was in the final game. I can't remember. Yeah, I know there's a screenshot at the back of the American box that shows that area, but it was from a very, very early build of the game. I think you can see a, you can see a researcher in that room as well. All oh, right. Oh. There's other pictures as well, isn't there, of a GI? And isn't there like a looks like a fist or something? Or a face? Sorry, face, not fist. Oh, yeah, it's it, uh, they injected the G virus into an, a human arm to see how it would react to humans, basically. Oh right, okay. But there was some good supplemental material about them. Photos were actually taken by Umbrella spies who came in to get the G virus, and the theory is Irons caught them, and that's why you find the photographs in the evidence locker at the RPD. But what did he do to them? That's the question. Stop them. Why would he do? Why would Irons want to do that? Stuffed him. Because Birkin told him to. He's oh, told right, right, yeah, yeah. Think that, let's say, after he catches them and he's killed them, you know, maybe Irons is the type of person who would, you know, just slip a finger up their ass. Maybe just a little finger up their ass. Maybe, I think he's the type of person who would do that. He's a rapist in the Japanese files. Yeah, with his fingers. <laughs> he's probably did that with the mayor's daughter on a desk before Claire or Leon arrives. Like, yep, just slip a finger up there. I think that was referred to in South Park as finger banging. So that's the technical term for it. Well, he's doing it up their ass, not the vagina in the case of the uh, mayor's daughter. It's also known as necrophilia. That is an important distinction, yes. Mm. An interesting quirk of the law is that you can be convicted of necrophilia in the UK, both intentionally and recklessly. I'm not quite recklessly. sure. I'm not quite sure how you can recklessly, recklessly have sex with a dead body, but uh, there you go. I guess that means if you do it in the arse, not the vagina, it's considered reckless then. <laughs> ah, not the arse. Surely yeah, it's, it's when you start, they're alive, and then at some point along the way, they're not. Something happens. Switching you know? back to Biohazard 2, the music was important. Especially my personal favourite was the fights with Birkin and uh, the Super Tyrant. I thought they were absolutely awesome. It's when he came out of the lava pit, you know, the kind of op- operatic. There's a medley of those tunes. Um, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but I'll have to send you a link to it later. But it's it's amazing. It's from one of the orchestra albums. Oh, I've always wanted to buy that. Oh, is it the uh, yeah, you should. the ultimate bioweapon melody? Yeah, that's the one. It's about yeah, it's, ten minutes it's, long. And it, it's yeah, it's phenomenal. pretty amazing. Probably the best track in the series. Because you better buy that on Amazon quite readily. So I, I haven't always intended to buy it. I've got the Cove Veronica soundtrack still in its original pack. Because that comes with a sticker, apparently. But I don't know. It's still locked. So it's still in its uh, cellophane case. The slower pace tracks. Save Room track. The Streets of Raccoon City. I mean, just really tracks that just set the tone that really made you feel there was a sort of a real, almost like a depression in the air. And you really could felt that this was a... A sense of urgency. That's what I got from the beginning music where you're, you dump tons of the street and you have that do-do-do-do, you know, that music. It gave me a sense of, like, desperation, urgency, you know, that you had to fight, really to survive. You have to get out the streets as soon as possible. Which is the best one to get? The Biohazard Symphony or the 10th anniversary CD? 10 years of Biohazard. Or is it best to just download it illegally? Which symphony one? Because I think there's a symphony one that has, actually has no music from the games at all on it. Yeah, I think that one was actually used for the soundtrack when the... I think it was the Biohazard Director's Cut DualShock version. I think they replaced the entire soundtrack from the first game with a bunch of orchestral stuff that sounded really really out of place right does anyone have anything else they'd like to say about 
Hester 2. I want to uh, touch on everyone's score up 10 because it's a bit of a classic. What did everyone think of the ending? I mean, and John mentioning the desperation and all the imagery and, and, and the feelings and the intense sort of emotions you get from the majority of the game because I was a little bit disappointed by the ending. I might have been too hard on it, but it, it just was a very cheesy and... Can I say something here? I think back in the 90s, you know, MGS1, RE2, RE1, etc. I think back in that time, developers made games that they wanted to make. But nowadays, they make games that the company wants to make. Do you think? I think so. They're not making a game they want to make. They're making a game that the company wants. That's reminiscent of like, the music industry nowadays, isn't it? You know, bands are effectively told you need to make a song like this. Mm. You know, an artist. I think it's the same with any industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think video games industry, uh, the film industry, I think it's the same way. It's just a sign of the times it's changed. Biohazard is a good example of this. Well, they've simplified I mean, it all by, you know, getting rid of the ink ribbons and telling you where you need to go on the map and things like that. It's to appeal to a large enough audience, a large demographic for greater returns. Is if you went out and made a game that you really like, we might all really like it, but that would sell like shit because no one else would like it. It's mm. like, oh, you know, I don't care about this because I want something that's like, I don't know, Call of Duty or something. I they're don't just, want this crap. It's just too slow paced, I think. That. Mm. I think that's what they assume is the. Um, People want the action. How well did Downpour sell? Silent Hill Downpour. Just because that's the only one kind of proper survival horror I can think of that's been released recently. I don't think it did particularly well. But this debate of whether today's gamers can you know, cope with a, such, you know, intellectual demands, the, the puzzles posed in Resident Evil 2, you know, the suggestion that a game like Resident Evil 2 wouldn't be successful now, you have to be told where to go. I mean, wh- where does this actually come from? I mean, you know, the, the human race hasn't changed. I mean, you know, if a game like Resident Evil 2 wouldn't be popular and, and shift numbers now, then why was it a success in the first place? I mean, there are, you know, the intellectual equivalents today of the gamers that played and enjoyed Resident Evil 2. Sorry to interrupt you there, George, but I just got the sales figures for Downpour. The global total as of the 12th of May 2012 in units is 0.15 million worldwide. That's global sales. Christ, that's bad. Because, I mean, it got slated in reviews, but a lot of Silent Hill fans actually came out and said, it is, you know, it's the best one since three or whatever and it just doesn't bode well does it that the, you know i think the only way we're going to get survival horror is what they're doing in biohazard 6 well do you want to see it this way hannah montana the movie the video game sold more copies oh shut up it's so it, honestly it sold 0.17 million that's you know <laughs> does everyone here feel that a game like resident evil 2 if it had come out today it would just simply bomb on on the basis that there isn't the you know the gamers aren't out there that will invest that amount of time and intelligence into a game if, yeah, if it's a new ip i think it would fail if you re-released it now it would do well on back of its name just like operation wrecking city but if it's a completely new ip going look we've got slow action zombies what does that tell you about the state of the you know survival horror games in that, yeah no you're right say you know a game like silent hill downpour which people say is a classic sort of survival horror and whatnot you know sells 0.15 million copies yet some hogwash shooter like Operation Record City sells 2 million. Yes, you, I don't think you can equate Downpour to you know the equivalent Resident Evil game that may come out that may be a survival horror because I don't know too much about Silent Hill but hasn't that gone from a Japanese developer to a US developer so if for example the same developer that developed these earlier games Capcom were to release a purely survival horror game a remake clone 
if you like. I don't think there's anything to suggest that it, that it wouldn't be a success. It's still shameful. It's testament of the times, isn't it, though? That that right there is a sign of the times that people don't care about survival horror. They don't care about classic gameplay. People change, you know, and times move on. And sadly, we've moved on to a point where it's not exactly good. But is there evidence to suggest that in relation to Resident Evil? Because we're yet to be given that opportunity. Since the remake of Resident Evil 1, there hasn't really been a purely survival horror Resident Evil game. And if, like I say, if there were, who's to say that it wouldn't shift as many copies as Operation Raccoon City? There hasn't been a bombed survival horror game of of recent, has there? Revelations. Zero was more recent. Oh, yes, of course. Well, Revelations were the sales figures for Revelations. Well, more than Downpour, uh, 0.54 million. So it didn't even sell a million copies. But how many people have a 3DS? Mm. And also Resident Evil Zero, for me, the failure of that wasn't necessarily the gameplay. I was really uh, enjoyed the fact that they had kept with the same atmosphere and the themes of remake, but it was the story, you know, the, the way the take on Marcus, that was the real, you know, failings for me. But we can discuss that in another we can. <laughs> What? Remember that, um, sorry. No, 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 you got remember Remake and Zero got re-released on Wii, so like for a more contemporary audience. Now you can say that, oh, people had the GameCube version, they didn't rebuy it, but that might be worth considering, you know, what the market will how interested the market is in that style of game because i mean the wii's got a huge like it's nearly a saturation i guess there's so many people have them i think remake zero only sold about uh 1.3 1.2 copies each on the gamecube that's not very good but four didn't sell that much more i think it only sold 1.5 in the gamecube surely remake would have been a massive success if it had come out on the ps2 yeah you'd like to think so Probably wouldn't have looked as good, though. Right, uh, moving back to two quickly. What was... Everyone's um, able to give uh, a, a score, overall impressions, at, and a score out of 10. Welsh, what mark would you give it, and why? Uh, probably a 9. Good 9, yeah. Selfish Gene? Uh, I'd have to say a 10. The only <laughs> the only criticism I can really level at it is that um, it might rely on jump scares a bit too much, which, you know, they're kind of cheap, but they're also very memorable, and I think that's probably why a lot of people like me are quite nostalgic about the game. Yeah, so I'm going to say 10. I love it. Yeah, Mr. Spencer? It had to be a 10 out of 10. It's probably my favourite Biohazard game in the entire series. A lot of nostalgia that's sort of playing into it there. But, you know, really, really big fan of that game. You spot Another 10 from me. I really just can't find any complaint from about it. Look, you know, we might as well... The way it is, right, the common theme here between all of us, we might as well just get a copy of the game and we all masturbate over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, really, because I don't think it ever actually got perfect 10 on the old review scores when it came out. It uh, how's that, how's that for a uh, stag do, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, news bot you were saying? It got a lot of nines. It got a lot of nines. That. And I remember, I think, because... Uh, Resident Evil 3 got a 10 out of 10 from the official PlayStation mag, although I felt 2 was a better game. But they... I think they're both pretty equal. Anyway, I was, yeah, Batman, what, what would you say? Uh, yeah, I'd have to give it 10. I loved everything about it, the characters, the story, the atmosphere, locations. Police station's probably just as iconic as the mansion now, in my yeah. opinion. And G2? I would give it 10 out of 10. Rarely does something that has so much to live up to that you know could fail in so many ways really um, succeed in you know living up to what was expected the story the characters the music there's nothing that i can thought about the game at all a good example is that i suppose with the expectation of five on four then mm. you know how not to do it right sorry i just wanted to say one last thing that there's so much about that game that if they had left out 
you know, I, I wasn't expecting. You know, it, it gives so much, so much about the game. There's so many levels. I mentioned before the graffiti. So much minor extra detail that they put into the game that you know I just wasn't expecting. Mm. I think uh, Resident Evil 2 is mentioned in the Guinness Book of Records. I think the 2001 edition for selling the most copies out of any PlayStation game. Yes, I think you're right. I remember seeing that. Ah, uh, that makes me feel a lot better. Wasn't it the most successful Resident Evil game in terms of sales before number five? Possibly, I'm not sure. I think that's true. <laughs> okay, we've had some questions from the community. First one came from Carnival over from The Horrors Alive. He wants to know, what were the roles of the original cast of 1.5 and how do they differ from their counterparts in Biohazard 2? So it's an open forum for anyone to uh, to answer. Well, I think you've got a couple of main characters that were main characters in Resident Evil 2 that in 1.5 became survivors. Paul mentioned the Ada Wong character of a female spy that then in Resident Evil 5 was... Linda, the survivor. Yeah, um, Marvin had a bigger role. He was meant to be with the character until the end. He could live or die, depending on your actions. He was infected with the T-virus during the game, bitten in the leg by a zombie. He follows you throughout the game. As for John, we don't know much about him, except he follows pretty much the same role as Marvin, only for Elsa. Has it ever been confirmed that he's actually John from Bio's Watch? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're separate. I think John in 1.5 is just a random civilian. Uh, the second question comes in from Vito. Right, quickly, just going back to Carnival's question. Okay. Was Elsa a biker as well? Were there any differences we know between her and the character that then became Claire? Like Claire, she was a university student, but unlike Claire, she was a racer. She raced bikes, she didn't just uh, okay. ride oh, them. Because there's, there's that picture, I think, of her holding a, a helmet. John, not that sort of helmet. <laughs> Wasn't she in Raccoon City for a motocross race or something? Something like that. I don't know where that came from. I haven't heard it personally. That's never been confirmed. I think her stats, though, they're the same as Claire's. Her height, her eye color, everything. So why was Elsa Walker dropped? They wanted to draw a connection to the first game, so they introduced their relative to Chris. Good stuff. That's, I think... pr- that's pretty much the only reason, I think. In that version, too, Birkin was a good guy. That was it. Yeah, wasn't he one of the survivors? And Yeah. No, he, he still... Transformed into a G creature, but yep. he's much more sympathetic in 1.5 than he is in 2. And I think How that's. So? That, oh, he's not evil per se. He doesn't do anything to try and. He's not like the Birkin we know now. He's not involved in BOW development, I think. Wasn't it I think the G virus was always intended to evolve the human race. I think that was his goal from 1.5 to forever. Only when they so changed the 2, they made so him more of a bastard, really. So in how he used to be, he wasn't so much like, uh, I will take over your research. <laughs> you know, that sort of mentality. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. That's it. Okay. Uh, so we've had a uh, three questions in, actually, from Vito. Uh, one of them we've answered, which is, was, is John the same? Mentioned in Biohazard 1, so we don't need to worry about that. The second question was, a monster from 1.5 supposedly has Wesker's face. What was the source for this? It's in its concept art. I'm actually going to look at the archives now. Hang on one sec. Does, does it actually say Wesker, though? Is no, it's... I think someone translated it. It's... Well, there it is. It's uh, on the... I think it's Golgotha's concept art. What page is that on? Well, I've got the Japanese one. It's on 289 on the Japanese one. It's on the largest concept art of Golgotha. I can't tell if the text is readable, but it definitely looks like Wesker. Oh, with the top of the page. Oh, it's the bottom concept art, biggest image. Hang on one sec. I'm going to grab my archives book. <laughs> Everyone's doing this now. This makes for good radio. So in Biohazard Archives, Paul, page 289. Yes, yes, that's it. And at the bottom, the large, and it's black and white. Yep. Where's Wesker? You have to to flip the page 
around. <laughs> it's like a magic eye. But when you look in its tail, it's a I face. like how all you arseholes here, everyone's just sort of getting their copies of archives out, dusting them off and going, Alright, where is this now? Who is it? Page 239. Oh yeah, I see it now. <laughs> I haven't got a fucking... I can't see anything. Oh, it's like one of those sort of magic eye tricks. <laughs> Let's all talk about it. I'll probably scan it later and try and circle yeah. it for people. Mm. There's a text right beside it that looks like a name in Japanese, but I don't think it's readable. I can't tell. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to the final question that he says. I think this one really has struck a chord with so many people. What's the deal with Hunk in Biohazard 2? And what the hell was he doing for a week when he got knocked unconscious? He wasn't knocked unconscious, and he wasn't there for a week. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorted. It just doesn't really bother explaining how he ends up there. Presumably he gets knocked down from the explosion of the laboratory, which he's pretty close to. He's, he's in the sewers, and I think it's confirmed somewhere that he went back through the sewers and back through the laboratory trying to get another G-Virus sample. He's not really close to the laboratory, though, because you have to take the cable car and go to the factory and then go down the Marshland area, right? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe that's why it took him a week, because he was doing all that, you know, traversing. Because I think in the English archives, Japanese bonds may supersede it, but I'm sure it says he obtains the sample by taking it off himself. I don't know if that's canon. There are a few different explanations, to be honest. I think Dark Side Chronicles just shows he lifts a sample off a table uh. that's just sitting around. And in Operation Raccoon City, he goes back for a sample, even though that's not a good example. And in, I think, 2, I think the original idea was that he would just take one before Burke and smash them in the sewers. Mm. And I think Kamiya said that he he thinks Hunk went back to the laboratory to get another one. I've always said this, we need a kind of fourth survivor part zero, really, don't we? There's scope there to actually do a whole mini-game as to how he actually gets a sample. Because both the fourth survivor in... Biohazard 2 and Umbrella Chronicles starts in a series with no explanation as to how he actually got the sample really, so there's scope there for a bit more. Well, didn't Kamiya say in an interview that he had a sample on him before Birkin attacked them all? That's shown in DSC, I think. He's holding the sample before he leaves. Oh, he runs out with a case, doesn't he? Oh, he picks one up. Someone else yeah. takes the case and he picks one up, doesn't he? And he says, mission completed. That makes more sense than him somehow finding the sample Leon threw away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's stupid. Which is the most canon-y, then? Is it the Biohazard 2 one or the Umbrella Chronicles one? Both are strictly kind of non-canon to an extent with the kind of appearance of Mr. X and the IVs and whatnot. I think you'd have to go with Umbrella Chronicles, wouldn't you? Even that's got IVs in the uh, RPD, isn't it? So sorry, Vito, we can't really answer that one. It's uh, beyond the realms of our intelligence. <laughs> I think they're pretty much just the same. Umbrella Chronicles just added more dialogue. Yeah, well, that concludes our discussion on Biohazard 2. So we'll now move on to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Five questions, three participants, and one topic. It's Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Hello and welcome to the quiz. Yay! <laughs> Super match game. Super match game. 
Batman, you're on 20 and a half. Mr. I was just getting... Spencer, you're on 13 and a half. And George Trevor, you're on 11 and a half. Now, that, got... now that's including your queried point from last time. Yes, thank you. And a quick recap of the guest scores. Ridley's on four, Smiley three, Stars Tyrant one, <laughs> Zombie Fred one point. Welsh and the Selfish Gene, are you happy to play the quiz with us? Sure. I'm happy to play. I just don't want to embarrass myself. Well, you know the rules. Five questions. Go through the questions first, and then we'll come back, do the answers, and we'll see what everyone's got. Right, so if everyone can have their desktops clear, you can open up Notepad, John. Uh, it's already open. <laughs> Notepad slash Google. <laughs> right, and we'll crack on with question number one. According to the Prima Strategy Guide of Resident Evil Survivor, what is the name of Lily Klein's brother? Would it be different to the actual name, or is this a trick question? It's not a trick question. Whatever you think the answer is. It's the sort of name that you either know it or you don't. I think so. Moving on to question number two. It's a timeline question, but not about today. On the 8th of November, 1967... Oh. It is allegedly George and Jessica Trevor's anniversary. I will repeat, on the 8th of November, 1967, it is allegedly George and Jessica Trevor's anniversary. What anniversary is it? So just looking, obviously, for a number. All right, okay. You'd say a marriage anniversary. Yeah, yeah. How long have they been married? Okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you a clue. She writes it on a card, John. A little anniversary card. Question number three is a veto question. Don't worry, it's a bit easier this week. What is the name of the diner that Claire visits in the opening cinematic of Biohazard 2? Oh, good question. It's a good question. Veto does come out with... No, he doesn't. That's the first time he's actually done... <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, can you repeat the question now? It cut out on me there. Name the diner that Claire visits in the opening cinematic of Biohazard 2. Just give me some time to type that into googly. <laughs> i got to cut in for a sec here, because I was actually watching that FMV the other day, and the diner showing at the start of the movie isn't the one she goes into. She actually goes into one of the buildings. Oh, really? Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, whatever Welsh said. I've lost a point there. I... You probably haven't. So I'll still give you the point if you've got my answer. Uh, question number four, another Biohazard 2 question. What is the code name for the train that Leon and Claire escaped from Raccoon City on? Code name? Or the name of it. I think that's quite an easy question. So can you just repeat that? I don't... Effectively, what is the name of the train? Yeah, the, yeah. the train's name? Yeah, Thomas. Tom, yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> I was going to say Thomas too, or Gordon. It's red, so it would be James. Could right. be Percy. Was Percy red? Percy was green. Was green. Number six. Come on. I can tell you've not got kids. <laughs> But the old Tom's attack, which, which, so much which is probably you. just as well, I might add. Probably a good trick to have kids. Don't tell your mother. Your little secret. You can get a bonus point if you can tell me the name of the train in the movie. Oh, no, 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 no. No? <laughs> that was just my reaction to uh, a, the movie reference. You, no, sorry, I, we, I'm not having that. We're not going to have questions about the fucking movies. We don't, <laughs> we don't feature the movies at the site for obvious reasons. I don't think we should have questions that refer to them. You might as well fucking... Let's just ask a question about Prometheus. <laughs> you know. Fine, okay, fine. And finally, question number five. This is a tricky question. What can Chris Redfield do in the locker room if you defeat all the hunters in stage 14 of the Code Veronica battle game? Oh, Jesus. It's a nice little Easter, Easter egg. I'm just going to have to guess that. So keep... What can Chris Redfield do in the locker room if you defeat all the hunters in stage 14 of the Code Veronica battle game? What can he do in the locker room? Mm. Okay. That concludes the quiz, so join us after this and we'll run through the answer. Let's see what he's got for you tonight. Ian Wong! Mum can sit there and have a good doze and wake up and find she's got sparkling clothes with this automatic washing machine. Ian too. When those youngsters come to sum it all up, life will be a lot easier for them with this kiddie's computer. Ian 3. Shh. 
This is for your ears only. It's a personal stereo. In four. Here's something that'll bring you down to earth. It's a super set of garden tools. In five. Aye, aye, Skipper. Put it there. In this pine captain's trunk. Our gym lad. In six. This prize could be a real catch. It's a complete angler's kit. In seven. See it, snap it, then see it again. On film with this Polaroid camera. In eight. You'll score 11s out of 10s if you take home with you this coffee maker. And Bully's special prize. You'll economise on everything except fresh air on this super motor scooter. Hello and welcome back to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. We'll now run through the answers and see what everyone's got. So, question number one was, according to the Prima Strategy Guide, what is the name of Lily Klein's brother, Mr. Spencer? I put Liam. I had no idea. Leon. Liam. Liam. Oh, sorry. Liam. All right. Liam. Uh, Batman? Uh, I put Rot. (laughs) George, I'll come to you. Rot. Put Rot. Selfish Gene? I was going to say rot, and then I changed it to lot. You said lot, okay. Welsh, what did you put? Right. Rot. It's correct. It is rot Klein. God knows why the premium strategy guide has it as rot Klein. But there we go. So well done. Points there for Batman, Welsh, and GT. Done. Question at number two was the timeline question. On the 8th of November 1967 is allegedly George and Jessica's wedding anniversary. What wedding anniversary number is it? Welsh. Uh, from the FC 10. 10th. Batman? 18th. Oh, fucking hell. I'm never going to catch him up. <laughs> Mr. Spencer? I put 6th. <laughs> what did you put? I guess 20th. I didn't know. George Trevor? 18th. Yes, it was the 18th wedding anniversary. And the, the key was in the question, really, allegedly, because it's in the it's from Resident Evil Genesis. So it's kind of grey canon, possibly. If, if you Since like. it's not like canon, is that half value? No, it's grey canon Welsh, because it's made by Capcom. There's no contradictions. There's no it's contradictions, yeah. Yeah. It's a mobile game, isn't it? Yep. Have you played it? I've watched lots of videos. I haven't got, I've got it on my phone, but it doesn't work. So just right quick, is it a re, are they revisiting the mansion, or is it a different... Is it... it is, but it's, it's totally different. It's like a completely different setup to the mansion. It looks nothing like the mansion. But... So it's, not, it's not the Spencer mansion, then? Or it's no, it, different... it's supposed to be the Spencer mansion, but no. it doesn't look anything like it. It's... So there is one massive contradiction, then? Kind of, but the files are all directly, you know, I think the uh, the Keeper's Diary and things like that are in it as well. So it's supposed to be the same area, and the, the files don't even relate really to the game. They don't make any sense. Okay. It's a bit like that in Uprising, uh, which is the sequel to Genesis, that has uh, links to Birkin, although he doesn't really appear in it as a character, apart from G. Anyway, well done on those points. Uh, question number three was Vito's question. What was the name of the diner that Claire visits in Biohazard 2? Uh, Welsh, what was the actual answer? I'm going to say Emmy's, but I might be wrong. Okay. Uh, Mr. Spencer? I put Emmy's diner. George Trevor? The Greasy Spoon. Gene, what did you put? I put donuts because I just remembered there was a sign for donuts. Batman? Okay, I'll put Emmy's Diner. Correct, yes, it is Emmy's Diner. Very good, very good, very good. No, there was like donuts and a coffee for like $1.50 was a special offer. Is that true? I'm quite hungry now. Mr. Spencer, you almost deserve a bonus point for that. That's right. There's like a sign though that says like, I'm not sure it's $2.50 or $1.50, but you get like coffee and a donut. I'm serious. There is uh, there is some kind of poster or something. I want a donut now. There is something about donuts. Certain about. <laughs> can you stop saying? Can we stop saying donuts, please? Question number four. What is the name of the train that Leon and Claire escape on? Selfish Gene. What did you put? Galaxy Five Thousand. Mm. 
Mr. Spencer? I put Galaxy 5000, but yeah, that's it, yeah. Batman? Yeah, Alexi 5000. The what, sorry? Alexi 5000. Welsh, what did you put? The Galaxy 5000 with Alexi 5000 for the movie. Correct. George? Galaxy 5000. That's all points except for Batman, who clearly said Alexi 5000, which was incorrect. Batman, are you aware of this fact? I knew it was the one for the movie, but I thought they'd copied it, but obviously not. No, no, no it's, it's the Alexi 5000 in the movie, and it's the Galaxy, or the Galaxy, whatever you want to call it, in the uh, in the game, so there we yeah, go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not spelt Galaxy as we spell it. It's... No, it's not, it's spelt G-A-L-A-X-I-E. I just remember Paul Anderson coming in his pants about saying they were using the train from Resident Evil 2, so I just assumed it was the same one. Yeah, I, I just found that funny, because you're right, I remember him saying that as well, but then you actually look at the video of RE2 and he still got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, finally, question number five was, what can Chris Redfield do in the locker room if you defeat all the hunters in stage 14 of the Code Veronica battle game? I'll be impressed if anyone does get this, but there we go. Uh, selfish Gene, we'll start with you. Can he use the vending machine? Good answer. Welsh, what did you put? This is for Cole Veronica and Mark Hunt Survivor. Yeah, Cole Veronica battle game. Yeah. I know he gets his hand bitten, and you can see Rodrigo behind the crates, so I don't know. Hand bitten. Okay. Batman? I knew it was either use the vending machine or does his hair, but I think it's Wesker who does his hair, so I'm going to go vending machine. Here you go, vending machine. Mr. Spencer? Pose in the mirror. And George Trevor? Take his pants off. I, I don't fucking know. He can use one of the lockers to change into a bonus costume. The point is to Mr. Spencer, actually. What? <laughs> what? It is. It is. It's, it's if you examine the sink, Chris will go up and wash himself and groom himself in the mirror. Groom himself? Steve uses the vending machine, I think. I just completely fucking guessed that. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought, wait, what? I'm right? Oh, nice one. Who gets her hand bitten? I don't know. The oh no! Tiger statue. Wesker examines the uh, the skeleton statue, doesn't he? I remember now. Yeah, he does. He examines the statue, and uh, I think Steve well, uses the vending machine from memory. So well done, Mr. Spencer. There, well done. Good guess. So that concludes Neptune and UC's Biohazard quiz, and it, it's even, Stevens. The final scores. Batman, you scored three points. Mr. Spencer, you scored three points. George Trevor, you scored three points. Welsh, you scored three points. Selfish Gene, you scored one point. So he basically didn't, might as well not have even bothered with that quiz then. <laughs> That's true. So we're still in the same position. We are. But I'm tempted to give Mr. Spencer a bonus point for the uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Isn't it three and a half because the bonus question from the movie? Oh, well, I think you should actually take a point off then for getting it wrong. No, I, I didn't give an extra for Welsh for the bonus because you, well, seem, to, you seem to veto it, George. There was a, um, I'm sure there was a, a special offer, like one coffee and one donut for like dollar fifty. I'm sure there was some kind of deal they had. Well, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give you a bonus point for the uh, knowledge on the movie. Well, that means I get one then. No, no, then, then certainly not. No. <laughs> Fuck off. No, I, th- I think these bonus points are being given out far too. They far. are. Let, let's keep it strict. Let's keep it strict. There's no, no bonus, no bonus points for anyone. You might as well give me a bonus point for getting my dick out. You've had your dick out in this entire conversation. Brilliant. Right, well, that means after episode six of the Project Umbrella podcast, Batman, you are now on 23 and a half. Mr. Spencer, you are on 16 and a half. And George Trevor, you are still holding holding up the team, but improving gradually. Uh, you are on 14 and a half. Also, only two behind Mr. Spencer. Uh, Welsh, you go joint second in the guest score with three points. Selfish Gene... You go joint third uh, with Zombie Fred and Stars Tyrant with one point. Uh, thank you very much for playing, and we'll have another quiz next podcast.
I'm just waiting for the inevitable Batman who docked 10 points in a Top Gear style pointless <laughs> thing. I, I like that idea. I, I, I Batman, I, I'm appalled. Would, would I do something like that? For being from the north, you are banned 10 points. <laughs> Well, make sure you get lots of points in the next quiz. <laughs> Do I still get points, though? Because I'm from the north as oh, well. Well, I mean, would it be fair to suggest perhaps at least deducting two points from John for mentioning in uh, a positive light the SD Pay book? Didn't you say you liked one of the, you liked an idea in the SD Pay book? Surely that's worth at least minus. Two. I didn't. I didn't. No, not no, and Batman did. Yeah, but the point I made about them working separate shifts is a valid one. It's common sense. It's what they do. Yeah, yeah I just I just think it would have been in better taste if you had mentioned that idea without mentioning the that author. <laughs> Well, that, that basically wraps up our uh, podcast for this evening. It's been wonderful, as always. Next podcast, I'm afraid, um, is going to be some time away because yours truly is going away to get married. So, um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're planning on doing a, another one. Second week of July, we're planning on doing a podcast dedicated to Biohazard 6. The demo, which should be out by then, of course, um, which should be interesting. Is anyone, everyone getting Dragon's Dogma just to play it? I am. Hold on a second. The next podcast, there's no, we're not reviewing a previous game. The whole thing's on RE6. The main discussion is going to be on the Biohazard 6 demo, and we're going to have a look back at any other reveals that E3 well, throw up. You know up. what I'm going to do? I'm getting Dragon's Dogma for Dragon's Dogma because I want to play that game, and I'm going to talk about Dragon's Dogma in the next podcast because fuck all you people saying, oh yeah, RE6 demo. Fuck RE6. We're going to be uh, so looking at Biohazard 6 and any other reveals that um, E3 should throw up. There is the possibility of the Wii U's possible launch game. That was it, Biohazard Mercenaries Biops. So there could be that discussion as well. And we're going to look at the... Um, Look at the Spec Ops campaign as well. We, we've touched upon it today, but we might have a, a bit of a discussion on that because obviously with the demo, we're going to only have limited uh, limited discussion. But... So that's all to look forward to. Should be good, should be good. Don't talk about the movies because the movies are terrible. Oh, I should go. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, it's. Uh, I think we'll leave it in the podcast now. It's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Newsbot. Goodbye from me, Jane. Goodbye from me, Mr. Spencer. Au revoir from me, George Trevor. Goodbye from me, Walsh.